As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Preseason game number one is in the books. We learned a little bit. Not too much, though. I think 25 49ers players were sidelined. Not all by injury, don't worry. But Kyle Shanahan kept a lot of the main guys out, especially on the defensive side of the football. Then on the offensive side, when the 49ers played the Chiefs, we only got to see... Uh, some of the primary starters, if we did see them at all, for a series. So uh, not really possible to glean too much from that first preseason game, Matt, except for the fact that it was just essentially a continuation of what we had already seen in training camp. And by that, I mean Trey Lance. This guy is awesome in stretches. I mean, that physical talent is is really on display, but he's still a work in progress, especially when it comes to the situational aspect of football. Yeah, I, I was just talking to Tanika before we got on. Uh, that was sort of the theme of that game. It was a really nice reflection of what we'd been seeing in training camp, uh, both from Garoppolo and Lance and you know, the issues with the uh, offensive line, especially the second team offensive line, especially the interior of that line. Um, so, um, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you wanted a, a little cheat sheet on what uh, all of our training camp uh, practices ha- have been like, you could have just watched that uh, preseason opener. And, um, you know, I, I think that's uh, a bit of a concern right now is that, you know, they went into the season thinking, okay, this is going to be the year we're going to take care of the line. We're going to finally fix that right guard spot, uh, which they basically had journeyman players playing that. And they drafted uh, Aaron Banks in the second round. And um, he has not come along very quickly. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I think it's pretty clear, given that he's now injured and out for at least two weeks, that um, he is not going to start the season as the uh, starting right guard. That's probably going to be uh, Daniel Brunskill. So they really haven't gone anywhere um, at that position, at least to start the season. I I do think that uh, Banks eventually will get it and will get in there with the starters. 
but uh, not not week one in Detroit. Well, he was nowhere close to being ready even before he got hurt on Saturday. According to PFF, he gave up four pressures. I watched the film. I also counted four pressures, and that's not a lot of pressure. Uh, that is a lot of pressures and not a lot of snaps. He only had, I think, 16 or 17 pass-protecting snaps, so not, not a good first showing from Aaron Banks. I just thought that he was slow in pass protection. Uh, you know, he was... They're beating him to that right side mainly, and he just wasn't able to, to move his feet quickly enough. Now, the you know, the 49ers' book on Aaron Banks, the reason that they drafted him in the second round was because he had shown quickness to go along with that massive size. I mean, this he started playing basketball in high school and junior high. That, that was Aaron Banks' first sport. You watch his basketball highlight reel. The guy moves his feet really well. He's quick. At the Senior Bowl, he was quick, but he, he was quick moving – downfield when when he was you know picked up that that head of steam moving forward he was quick quickness and pass protection is a little bit different you have to be quick laterally you would think that the basketball background will translate to that but it certainly didn't in this first game so I think it's just unfortunate that this injury happened right now for Aaron Banks Matt because he was going to have a chance to go against an aggressive Chargers pass rush in practice in Orange County on Thursday and Friday. And I think, you know, when I talk about lateral quickness, what he didn't show in that game on Saturday, that's the kind of stuff that he needs reps to improve, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and to your point, I mean, the, the the play that I got hurt on, he actually did a really nice job. It was a running play, I think, uh, Trey, Trey Sermon. And um, he got downfield, and uh, he hit his guy in, in space. And I've been watching him uh, make that play all training camp. Uh, so you're right, when, he, when he's moving ahead in the running game, this is sort of a theme for the 49ers offensive line, the, the running game, he's been, been really good, especially getting out into space, um, which is um, really good for a guy who's 329 pounds. I mean, that's a big offensive lineman. And, and I wonder whether that's going to be something that, that changes in the offseason, whether they'll you know, start to wonder about his lateral quickness and say, hey, let's get into the 315, 320-pound range. Um, and, uh, you know, just going back to the draft, I- I've never seen a guy that had so such polar opposite sort of uh, uh, draft reviews about him. Uh, just talking to different people. I talked to Scott McLuhan, who usually really likes the 49ers drafts, and that was one guy that uh, he thought that they overdrafted because he didn't think that Aaron Banks was a, a zone-blocking type of guy. He, he didn't think that he moved very well. And, and the, the 49ers had just such a different um, idea about that. Uh, I, I'd never seen such kind of uh, polar opposite uh, takes on a guy like uh, Aaron Banks has had uh, th- this year. Well, the 49ers are going to hold their breath with that one because as Aaron Banks goes, so do several other things in this team's plans. I mean, there's a reason why they picked him that high in the second round, and that's because they need him to fill in sooner rather than later. There's a domino effect attached to this, Matt. If Aaron Banks is able to grab that right guard spot, Daniel Brunskill is able to move into a position for which he's best suited, and that's that sixth utility offensive lineman role. Daniel Brunskill, I don't think, is a natural guard. I mean, this is a former uh, tight end in college at San Diego State. So Daniel Brunskill comes into this whole NFL offensive line mix as a, a guy that's lighter than most NFL offensive linemen, but he's quicker. He can move, and I think 
that's the reason why he saw so much success at tackle for the 49ers, both left and right tackle in 2019 as he was filling in for Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. Obviously, he's not a player that you want as your full-time left tackle, but in spot action, Daniel Brunskill was great, and there's a good chance that the 49ers are going to need some quality reps from somebody not named Trent Williams or Mike McGlinchey at some point in a 17-game 2021 season. So my point is that you need depth along the offensive line. Without it, you're not going to make it to a Super Bowl unless you get extremely lucky, and the 49ers are in no position to get extremely lucky with literally a 37-year-old playing center for them this year. I mean, there is going to be attrition along the front this year, and if Aaron Banks can grab that right guard spot at some point this year, that's going to allow the 49ers to better handle that attrition elsewhere by allowing Dan Brunskill to play elsewhere. And also, I mean, if we're already getting into this discussion about depth, they're going to need Colton McKivitz, who I thought played decently well on Saturday, to be able to handle some of that load when he is called upon at different positions, because I think it's coming. It came in 2020. It came in 2019. I think the 49ers are going to have to flex their depth again up front in 2021. Let's look at the numbers. I mean, uh, to me, it's almost apparent as long as there are no injuries from between now and, and cutdown day, who's going to make the team at offensive line? You've got from left to right, Trent Williams, Lakin Tomlinson, Alex Mack, Daniel Brunskill at right guard, and Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. That's five. And then your swing tackle right now is Jalen Moore, the fifth round pick. That's six. You mentioned McKivitz. I mean, he's going to have to be a bit of a jack of all trades. Trent Williams had a little bit of an injury In Monday's practice, Sean Coleman, also a tackle, got hurt in the game, I think. I wonder if McKivitz, who's been playing guard mostly in practices, is going to have to play some tackle this week. And then the last guy, uh, the eighth guy, is is Aaron Banks. So maybe they keep nine, but uh, usually teams keep eight, and they can certainly keep just about anybody that they want on the practice squad. But that seems to be the group with, like I said, probably McKivitz and Jalen Moore being the two kind of swing guys to begin the season in Detroit and Philadelphia. And if you want, you know, something positive out of all this, I think it has to be Jalen Moore. I mean, this is a fifth-round pick who was able to take starting left tackle action in his first-ever NFL preseason game and not look horribly out of place. He did give up a sack. That was against the second team, though, a little bit later on. But the, to me, Jalen Moore physically looks built like like a veteran. He, he yeah, I think Aaron Banks is still going to need to get stronger. I think there's some pudge on Aaron Banks's body that's going to go away when you know he sees enough time in an NFL weight room. But you can't say the same about Jalen Moore. In fact, Jalen Moore, uh, you go back to some of his Western Michigan highlights from the weight room. This is a guy doing multiple weighted pull-ups, even at 320 pounds. I mean, this is a guy who carries his body weight extremely efficiently, and he didn't look out of place at that left tackle position. There's obviously going to be uh, stuff to improve on. There's a reason he went down in the fifth round and not in the first. Uh, but it, the fifth round has been magic for the 49ers, Matt. And it looks like uh, they are on track to have an efficient lineman with Jalen Moore. And that's what they need. They don't need a starter. They just signed Trent Williams the record money. They need somebody who can plug in everywhere. And Moore has, you know, they initially thought he's going to be a guard. He's already shown that he can at least be proficient at tackle. And if that continues, at least the team can take a sigh of relief on that front. Good call in the fifth round there. Look at the guys who started Saturday's game, the rookies who started. They, the, the three uh, fifth rounders, Hufanga, uh, Diamador Lenore, and, and Jalen Moore, as well as Trey Sermon, uh, a third rounder. Uh, but uh, it looks like 
those three fifth rounders that that's the money round for this team and it it it, it uh, keeps happening every year yeah you're you're right maybe maybe it goes down like uh you know that inside linebacker position did for the 49ers they drafted uh, Reuben Foster in the first round in 2017 and he was the guy that everybody wrote about he grabbed all the headlines all the interviews and then the next year they spent a third rounder on Fred Warner very quiet guy, barely got noticed uh, his first couple of seasons. Now one of them is is a star, and one of them is sort of teetering on the, uh, you know, on being in the league. So uh, the 49ers do have a, a knack for doing that. They they might whiff on a guy in in the early rounds, but they usually in the same draft find somebody good in that. It's usually that fifth round. So uh, uh, that uh, the, the the fifth round blessing is uh, is going strong for the 49ers. And that's a testament to the scouting department, right? Because everybody knows about the guys that go in the first round. There are no secrets about first and second round picks. Those are usually your big school guys, or in the case of Trey Lance, uh, a North Dakota State guy who everybody scouts. So, um, I mean, you can't really give credit to, to somebody discovering players in the early rounds, but you definitely discover guys in the later rounds. And I mean, John Lynch has talked about this before. I think Kyle Shanahan has as well. Um, they credit those later round finds to lower level members of the 49ers scouting staff who r- really show up and start pounding the table for a certain guy, get the attention of higher ups in the building to seriously consider that player. And then obviously you have to be lucky too. He has to be on the board when you come to pick in the fifth round. But the 49ers have no problem with stockpiling those lower round picks. They had three fifth rounders this year. And the reason they have no problem doing that is that they think because their scouting department has done a good job later in the draft they think that they're maxing their chances at luck right later in the draft and from George Kittle all the way possibly to Jalen Moore Talanoa Hufunga this year I, I guess that's the guy we have to talk about next that that fifth round has been awesome for the 49ers and speaking of awesome boy Talanoa Hufunga's performance against um, the the Chiefs uh, I, that really popped off the film to me, Matt. Both on defense and on special teams. And then the guy shows up to the lectern for his press conference on Monday in full pads. So I just have to say that that's a football guy right there. He he doesn't change. He showed up in full pads and he and he gave us a good presser. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, just going back to the draft, the Forty ers do a really cool thing. I don't know if every team does this, but. Adam Peters was was telling me this the the day before, uh, or or the the day of the final draft, day three, uh, all the scouts are there, and uh, Peters gets them in a room before the draft begins, and he says, "Okay, what? Who's the one guy you want us to take today? Who's the one guy you're going to stand on the table for, and uh, and and advocate for?" And uh, usually, you know, each guy has a different, each scout has a different player in mind. Uh, This year, there were multiple scouts who said Talanoa Hufanga uh, because they knew that he was going to drop to the the third day of the draft because he wasn't all that fast and because he did have a few injury issues because of the way he plays, by the way. Uh, Not because he's fragile, but because he throws his body around like a wrecking ball. Um, and they all felt like this guy's personality, his spirit, his um, kind of uh, the infectious ways, way that he plays. At the very least, uh, you get that on a special teams unit, and all of a sudden your special teams is, is special. 
what Hufanga is showing is, yeah, he can play special teams really well. He had a couple of tackles against the Chiefs, but he, you're right. He was flying around. You just noticed him out there, kind of zooming in from the secondary, uh, stopping guys on third and long, well before the chains, uh, sort of teased him today about an angle he took uh, uh, against Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, no one's catching Hill. Nobody. Troy Palomalu isn't catching Hill on that play. Hill's just too fast. But uh, it, it looked like Hufango was giving him a little bit of a run for his money, and he took the right angle, and eventually Hill went out of bounds. But it um, uh, just kind of shows you how how savvy he is, how smart he is. And like I said, it, it, there's an energy there that just sort of permeates uh, when, when he's on the field. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Well, when I was first watching the Hufanga film, I was concerned because uh, the 40 was only 4.6. And, you know, I'm not a big 40 guy, but I use it as a reference point for when I watch the tape. And some of the people that I talked to said that, yeah, he, he's obviously instinctive and the, the speed works for the college game. But we all know that the NFL game is just so much faster than the college game. So uh, I was worried that because Ufongo was only a 4-6 guy and it was obvious that his game was so based on, on instincts, I was just worried that he was going to get run off the field in the NFL. Um, the 49ers even acknowledged right after the draft that they were considering playing Hufanga in a hybridized linebacker role, which is, I think, tacit acknowledgement of the fact that he doesn't have blazing speed. But what I have learned throughout this first part of camp and in that first preseason game is that Hufanga definitely is fast enough to survive at safety, pure safety, not not any you know hybridized linebacker stuff. He is fast enough to survive at safety in the NFL. And that's because the instincts are so strong with him and probably the work ethic with the film is so strong with him that he consistently gets the first step. He has definitely worked with Daniel Bullock's, the 49ers safeties coach, on proper tracking, proper angles, because he understands how to best leverage his 4.6 speed. So, you know, I've talked about this several times with Dwayne Aquina, uh, old longtime Stanford defensive backs coach who developed Earl Thomas back at, at Texas. And uh, Aquina always said that it, if you have 4.7 speed, but elite instinctiveness you play like a 4-3 guy but you can also be a 4-3 guy that has no instinctiveness and you might as well have 4-8 speed and and you shouldn't be on a roster but if you have 4-3 speed with elite instinctiveness that's when you better be inviting me on your yacht in in 20 years because you're going to be rich and that you know Dwayne uh, Keenan was talking about Earl Thomas in that regard so Tolano Hufanga is never going to be Earl Thomas because he can't run a 4-3 
He's a four six guy, but it looks to me that that instinctiveness can make him play like a four four guy, Matt. And that's a professional. He he may never be an all pro, and maybe he proves me wrong there. But it looks like he could be definitely be a solid pro based on that instinctiveness. Yeah, and and, and we should point out that uh, back in 2018, when when Marcel Harris got some some snaps late in the season, um, he started off really well. Uh, I, I I especially remember a game in Seattle where he was making all sorts of plays, very aggressive plays around the line of scrimmage. And and so his career started off uh, in a similarly positive light. I think he also was a, uh, a fifth rounder. He might have been a sixth, I forget. Uh, but um, it, it soon came to pass that he did not have that, that deep ball ability. He was kind of uh, continually burned on, uh, on deep passes. And that's why they moved him to linebacker. Uh, I, I haven't, you know, there, there was this beautiful play uh, last week, uh, a deep Josh Rosen pass, and uh, Hufanga played it perfectly. Um, you know, like you said, was, uh, uh, was instinctive with it, uh, ran back, reached up with one hand, and, and got an interception. It must have been a 40-yard pass or so. Uh, I'd never seen Marcel Harris do anything like that. Uh, in a practice, just kind of that that center field um, movement, uh, that Willie Mays kind of catch over your head type of thing. And um, Hufanga looked, uh, you, you probably remember the play, David, Hufanga looked absolutely natural doing that. And I think that's what, uh, I'm piggybacking on, on what you're saying, it's just a, uh, uh, an instinctiveness, a, a natural ability that uh, sort of mass some of the uh, the missing speed that he he might not have. Yeah, because it was a definite concern for me because when I first saw his film, I'm like, oh my god, this guy reminds me so much of Fred Warner as far as the instinctiveness. But the problem is that Fred Warner is six four, two thirty or however much he weighs. Hufanga is way smaller than Fred Warner, right? So with Fred Warner, if you're making that comp, you better be Fred Warner's size. Uh, because Fred Warner is big enough to play linebacker and be in there every down and, and obviously be an all-pro and do that stuff. It, it doesn't matter if you're as instinctive as, as Fred Warner um, but, but, but don't, have, don't have the speed, right, to, and, and you're way smaller because then you're just going to be uh, – you're either going to be a severely undersized linebacker or a slow safety. But the fact that Hufanga has been able to – convert that instinctiveness into speed on an NFL field. I mean, we saw it on the USC film, but the 49ers had to be able to make a projection that he'd be able to do it at the professional level. The fact that he has shown us that so far through that nice interception in practice, through the nice tracking that he showed in the game against the Chiefs, it's got to make the 49ers really optimistic. Now, this doesn't mean that he's going to be a day-one starter. I think the 49ers are very happy with Tavon Wilson right now. I do think, based on what I've heard, that Jaquaski tart might be back sooner rather than later. Uh, but th- th- these are all good problems to have for the 49ers, and for the time being, you know, you talk about good tracking, you talk about uh, good tackling, uh, that means that Talanoa Hufanga's um, skill set is going to be perfect for special teams until he rises up that pecking order high enough to be able to start at safety one day. Yeah, and we should uh, mention HaHa Clinton Dix, who was folded into the practice on Monday and came away with a, an interception of Trey Lance uh, on his uh, first day of practice. And, um, you know, I, I was watching him during uh, warm-ups or individual drills, and I'm thinking okay, who is this new linebacker that they just signed? He's wearing 49, 49, which (laughs) kind of makes him seem a little bit bigger. 
but then I looked it up. You know, my, my recollection of Clinton Dix is that he was sort of a long, linear uh, type of safety who, who maybe weighed like 199, 200 pounds. I, I was surprised when I, I looked it up and it was 211. He's, he's bigger than I thought he was. Um, so he's, he's another guy with some, some heft back there. And, uh, you know, just like Tony Jefferson, um, he, he also didn't play last year. I think he was on the practice squad and, um, uh, I want to say with the Cowboys, I forget. Uh, yeah, yep. the, the, yep. the Cowboys, um, and you know, the, the practice squad rules will be the same as, as last year. Basically, uh, virtually anybody can go on the practice squad. So they, they will have the ability to keep some guys around, uh, in case, uh, you know, a, a Tavon Wilson gets hurt or they need to get some veteran depth back there. But um, I would say that they're that, – that, that's, that's, I'm not worried about that safety spot. Uh, I think Jimmy Ward has played really well in practice. Um, you're right, Tavon Wilson, is, it's like he's been here for five years. And then with Hufanga ascending, uh, I have to think that the team is, is happy about that group. Maybe not quite as content with the cornerbacks – uh, Jason Verrett is at one spot. Kwan Williams is at the nickel. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley has looked really sharp since returning. I just don't know what's going on after that. And uh, we see so we see uh, Diamador Lenore and Ambry Thomas sort of switching spots in the in the rotation. And it was Lenore, uh, a bit of a surprise that uh, that got the start over Ambry Thomas against the Chiefs. Yeah, uh, and L- Lenore obviously had that interception. Uh, I don't know how schematically uh, set up for it he was. He was behind the receiver, but as far as reaction time, anticipation, whatever you want to call it, he was able to grab that ball off the deflection. I thought that both 49ers rookie cornerbacks uh, were at least serviceable in that game. I didn't think that they were great. They gave up a few catches, but you know, the 49ers weren't looking for great performances for them. They just wanted to throw them into the water and, and hope that they didn't sink in that first game because we've seen 49ers cornerbacks sink before. Um, you remember Brian Allen last year against uh, the Miami Dolphins. So this is just the beginning of a long road of development. They're trying to get both Lenore and Ambry Thomas physically stronger so they could run that press man coverage with consistency against the bigger targets in the NFL. And I thought it was a decent showing for both of those guys in that game. But I still do think that Talanoa Hufanga was the standout for the 49ers amongst the whole roster. I mean, we, we talked after that game, Matt. We're walking down to the press conference room, and we told each other, Talanoa Hufanga, I mean, in both of our eyes, uh, was the, the guy for the 49ers in that game that really popped off the film, made his stock rise. I mean, and I'm not saying he was the only one. You go up and down this roster, and there are players who, who, who made names for themselves, guys who uh, already are household names in this league and guys who might not be. One of them, Jordan Matthews, spoke to us today. Obviously, former receiver. Everybody knows Jordan Matthews, right? Eight-year NFL vet. But he's now a tight end, and I thought he did some good stuff at, at tight end, Matt. Uh, he had the block, the little cut block on the Jamichael Hasty touchdown. Uh, the blocking wasn't perfect. Uh, Jordan even said as much today, but it's still so new to him because he has just recently added those 20 pounds and moved to that new position. But I'll tell you what else he did. He showed that he still has the spryness, even at 235 pounds, to be a, you know, a legitimate 
yards after the catch threat and pass catching threat. And he had that nice catch that got everybody fired up at the end. And Jordan Matthews also made two special teams tackles. Now, I'm not sure exactly where he'll fit into the roster equation of this team, but there's still a while to go. we still got two weeks to go. But uh, it seems to me that, that Jordan Matthews is making a move to make this team. And that would be quite the story based on what he told us today. Yeah, um, he was, I, I don't know how long he spoke today, but it was a very energetic and, and heartfelt uh, press conference. It was uh, really good stuff that he was, he was telling us about his journey from wide receiver to tight end, what sort of precipitated it. Uh, everything he did to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, you you felt the uh, eagerness that he has. And, and that was John Embry, his uh, position coach's point when we were talking to him the other day. Uh, I mean, you have to have the desire to do that. And uh, Jordan Matthews is just dripping with desire. And, and it's hard to see a guy like that not succeeding. Um, obviously, injuries and things like that can... Uh, can play a role, and he, he's, he's certainly undertaking this transformation late in his career. Uh, but um, you're right. I mean, it was a really good first step. Uh, everything you just said, um, probably, you know, the, the, the movement, uh, breaking a tackle and then going down the sideline, that was, that was big. I mean, he did not uh, kind of lumber around like he was having a hard time with that uh, 235 pounds that he was carrying. He, he's uh, a guy that went through his career at 215, uh, so it's a substantial amount of weight that he gained, but he he doesn't show it. Um, he doesn't have the pudge that that uh, Aaron Banks might have. Um, he, he he handles it well. So um, yeah, to me, it's uh, it, it's coming down between him and it, it's funny. He he and Michael Pruitt, a guy that they added in the off season, are both wearing eighty eight or both were wearing eighty eight. Uh, Pruitt today switched to eighty four which is uh, Kevin White's uh, former number. Um, and, uh, you know, Pruitt needs to get back on the field. He, he hasn't practiced since uh, very early in training camp when he suffered a calf injury. Didn't do much today, although he was in uniform. But uh, you start to think that if, if they are going to keep four tight ends, that Jordan Matthews would be a pretty inspired choice there. Um, can help you out in special teams. Maybe you only keep five receivers, and he's sort of the fourth tight end slash sixth receiver on this team because obviously he can line up in the slot and uh, and handle that pretty well. Or it'll be a practice squad situation, but either way, I think the 49ers want to keep him in the building. They gave Michael Pruitt $500,000 in guaranteed money, which, which is a lot for a one-year contract. So I think that the plan has been for Michael Pruitt to be on the team throughout this whole thing, but obviously injuries can change that equation. And maybe the 49ers started to get nervous when that calf issue overtook Michael Pruitt and has kept him out of most of this training camp. So they went out and they got Jordan Matthews, and maybe they're pleasantly surprised by how quickly Jordan Matthews is adapting to the tight end position. I mean, this is all a fluid, variable process. And obviously, in fluid, variable processes, stuff can change over the next two weeks. And you know, maybe somebody else gets hurt or even over the next 19 weeks because over the course of the regular season, um, I guarantee you there's going to be at least one injury and probably more in that tight end room. That's just the nature of this game. So making sure that you have some depth on deck to be able to, to ta- you know, ta- take a load off of those frontline guys is extremely important. And 
to me, it seems that Jordan Matthews is on a good track to provide that. Another player who's on a good track to provide something that the 49ers need, and it was very clear to me after Saturday's game, is Simba Webster. Uh, he had success returning kicks for the Rams. Simba Webster was not just a nobody with the Rams, but they, they waived him. 49ers pounced. They claimed him last month. And I'll say the 49ers had a bad game on special teams against the Chiefs, but there was a bright spot, and it was Simba Webster. And that 43-yard return put a jolt of energy into the 49ers, Matt. And, but what was most special to me is that normally when you see a guy take back a long kick return, they sub themselves out. They're on the sideline for at least one play to get a breather. Simba Webster was right back in there. Not only was he in the game for the first offensive play following his return, uh, they called his number, and it was an end around, and he sprinted 25 yards to set up the eventual Jermichael Hasty go-ahead touchdown. That two-play sequence, to me, uh, was enough to thrust Simba Webster right into the heat of this battle for the 49ers' final receiver spot. Yeah, uh, and I wonder whether he'll he'll take that, that sixth spot. I mean, you, you probably want that, that sixth spot to go to somebody who can return punts, which is why we've been penciling in Richie James and – uh, if it's not James, then it's Travis Benjamin. Both those guys have, have punt returning skills. Both can play out of the slot. Both can play outside. But boy, neither of those guys has really shown up much in practice. Didn't show up in the game. Uh, both were held without a catch. Uh, they, they were targeted six times uh, between the two of them. Zero catches. Didn't do much on special teams. I don't know what happened on that, that punt that Benjamin was back for that rolled out at the one, but that put the 49ers in a in a tough spot. Turned out great for Trey Lance because he hit uh, uh, Warner on that last uh, on, on that on his first pass for for a nice big gain. But um, you know neither of them has really seized the opportunity that's presented to them. And uh, Richie James, uh, I want to say he has a drop per uh, per practice in training camp, but he's had a lot of drops, and he had one maybe two more. Um, I'd like to get your take on whether the second one was a, a drop in the game on Saturday. So uh, he, he just can't afford to do that. And uh, I wonder if the 49ers are losing patience with him. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of setting all of this up for the big uh, joint practice that they're going to have with the Chargers later this week. There are a lot of guys who really need to kind of show up in this, uh, in this game, uh, in this practice and the game. Um, and I think Richie James is, is one of them. He, he needs to start showing real consistency or else he's not going to make this team. Yeah, right back at practice today, Monday, Richie James, uh, I can't call it a pure drop because he did get hit by Jimmy Ward, but it was a catchable pass from Jimmy Garoppolo that Richie James just didn't hold on to. And I think that we're at the point where Richie James needs to start making these tougher catches to, to regain some of the ground he's lo- uh, lost with a lot of you know the, those bad drops. We, we've seen him through the preseason. Uh, you know we saw a couple, maybe one and a half against uh, the Chiefs in in the preseason game. So um, it's it, it's put up or shut up time for Richie James. Kyle Shanahan hasn't mentioned that about him specifically to the press, but he has said that about Jalen Hurd. And I think today he inferred that about all the receivers today. Here's the quote from Kyle Shanahan. He, he's been very complimentary of a couple guys. Now, obviously, Ayuk and Samuel are going to be on the team. but uh, So Shanahan hasn't you know even wasted time addressing that. But he 
specifically complimented Jawan Jennings and Trent Sherfield, and he said, I've been extremely impressed with Jawan, how he's gone out there and done that. It's only one game in, but I need everyone else to get to that level also. And I think that quote right there, I need everyone else to get to that level also, that is very much targeted at guys like Richie James and guys like Jalen Hurd. Um, because you know both obviously – at least at some point, had the ability to make this competitive 53-man roster. And if they still do have that ability, if they still do have that want to, whatever they need, they're going to need to show it here over the next two weeks before the final 53-man cut. Yeah, Shanahan has uh, sort of leapt at opportunities to uh, praise Jawan Jennings and, and how he played in that game on Saturday. And it was all about effort. I mean, uh, what, what impressed Shanahan was sort of the gritty stuff that that Jennings was doing, uh, you know, blocking safeties and cornerbacks, uh, working in the running game. Um, so uh, he obviously wants everyone else at that position to sort of rise to that level that uh, that Jennings and, and Webster were at in, in Sherfield. Um, you know, one, one thing we have to note, though, is that, you know, Jennings probably still has fresh legs, given that he, he spent the first 10 days, probably a little bit more than that, of, of training camp, uh, on the on the COVID list, so while the rest of the receivers, James and Ayuk and Samuel, have been going at it uh, just about every day, Jennings has kind of gotten a late start. So that may explain some of the spring in in Jennings' legs. But um, uh, obviously, uh, Shanahan is pointing to him as somebody that he wants the rest of the guys to you know reach as far as uh, as effort and, and energy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, Matt, we've gone a little bit over half an hour without broaching the quarterback subject head on, and that makes me proud because I feel that we might be the only podcast out there that that is able to to go that long talking about other stuff on the roster, which people are and I think should be interested in because this is a very interesting 49ers roster, but we also can't go a whole episode without actually delving into Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo and the really interesting dynamic that the 49ers have going on at the game's most important position. And with each passing day, uh, this you know just seems more and more clear to me, and I think it was clear to, to both of us at the start of this training camp that Shanahan is, is operating on separate tracks for Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. And both of these tracks acknowledge the fact that Trey can help the 49ers win this season, right, with with the physical skill set that he has, the wow factor of that throw to Trent Shurfield, the wow factor of other deep throws that that he's made, the bullets that Lance has uh, thrown in practice and during the preseason game against the Chiefs, and obviously the running plays that Shanahan is installing for him. All of these things combined to create confidence in Kyle Shanahan's head that Trey can help him win this year. But then there's the flip side of the coin, which I think Shanahan has long anticipated, and that's situational football 
That's the fact that Trey Lance, before the preseason game on Saturday, had played in only one actual game in 581 days, and that was at the FCS level. And that's recognition that Lance just simply isn't as efficient as Jimmy Garoppolo when down and distance are incorporated into play, when, uh, you know, different defensive personnel packages are being thrown around, when, when there's a little less structure to practice, which is always the case during a game because you can't predict it. Whenever that happens, Shanahan realizes that Jimmy Garoppolo is his safety net. Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback who's going to give him a certain acceptable level of efficiency that Trey Lance has yet to deliver. In fact, in move the ball periods in practice when the chains actually move so far, I've charted it all. Jimmy has completed 71% of his passes and Trey Lance has only completed 46% of his passes. The offense has obviously moved much more efficiently with Garoppolo quarterback than with Lance. That's not to say that Lance hasn't done awesome stuff. He has. But what I think that we identified early, Matt, and, and it's looking more and more every day like this will be the case, is that the 49ers will have Garoppolo as their baseline. And then they're going to try to create situations where they can thrust Lance in the game, have low downside, and and really leverage the amazing upside that we've seen from their rookie. Yeah, I mean, look at the guy that they were playing against on Saturday. Uh, Patrick Mahomes didn't do much beyond holding a clipboard his his first season. Uh, he played behind uh, Alex Smith and then came in the next year, and the rest is, is history. Um, you know, I, I thought that uh, one of the things that, that stood out from Saturday's game and something that, that Shanahan commented on was uh, just how many different scenarios, how many different situations Trey Lance was in. I mean, he, he had, uh, you know, the ball all over the field, where, you know, his own 20, his own one. Um, you know, uh, they got that, uh, that fumble at the end of the half. He got to run the two-minute drill twice. He didn't do much with it either time. But these are all things that I think have to be really pleasing to Shanahan because that's the missing element. You just noted it with him. Hasn't played a lot of football. Hasn't been in myriad uh, scenarios because uh, North Dakota State was so overwhelming um, when, when he did play back in 2019. So uh, I, I think that, you know, that, that probably is, is, is right up there with things that please Shanahan about Lance. Uh, you know, the, the fact that he was not overwhelmed by the situation, the fact that he hit that across the field bomb so perfectly. Uh, you know, it, uh, again, going back to our earlier theme, the game was a, a really nice facsimile of, of practices, and in that way, uh, it, it, Trey Lance was part of that. He was comfortable. Um, he, he looked polished at times. Uh, he was aggressive, but, um, you know, understanding coverages, all that stuff, um, you know, that, that's still a work in progress, and, and we saw that in the game. Yeah, it's impossible to parse in binary terms, and everybody seems to want to do that, right? But you could it's possible guys you you can have just some amazing moments and i count maybe 3 or 4 of those to be honest if you're really a fan of the quarterbacking position and you like to study that part of the game obviously the surefield throw is going to jump off the tape at you um that throw from the 1 yard line and just the poise with which Trey Lance handled the play action from his own end zone before throwing to Charlie Werner. That's going to jump out. But then there were two other plays that that I really liked. There was the very first one from scrimmage 
where he actually had good pass protection, moved up in the pocket later on, and just threw a bullet that Brandon Ayuk couldn't hold on to. And then the Richie James drop later on. That was a great throw. Yeah. Showed off the arm talent. Passed the sticks to the sideline, you know, cross field. This is all stuff that, that I think if you're Kyle Shanahan, makes you salivate if you think about the future. But you also have to consider the flip side. Two near interceptions. I don't think Trey did a great job stepping up in the pocket on, on the play and on which he fumbled. I think Kyle will tell you the same thing. Uh, he missed high. Uh, again, in practice on Monday, he missed high. That That's becoming a recurring thing that was in the scouting report. The completion percentage at North Dakota State, especially with advanced accuracy charting, wasn't great. And it showed that Trey Lance missed high a lot, especially in situations where he got a little overexcited. And it resulted in a pick in Monday's practice to ha-ha Clinton Dix. So, I mean, th- there are these issues, too. And the final line was 5 of 14 with two near picks. And and obviously those three drops, still not great, 8 of 14. And, uh, you know, boom or bust is what it was. What the 49ers need to do is they need to coach Trey Lance up, let the development happen, and get rid of those busts and make sure that it's only stable, which Jimmy Garoppolo gives you a lot of stable. That's not easy to do. That's why the 49ers value it. He gives you a lot of efficient stability, but then add the booms there. So in the boom or bust cycle, get rid of the busts, keep the booms, and add stability. That's where you're trying to get Trey Lance to go. And that's why you're so happy right now that you have two of these guys, right? Because you can try to harness the booms for, for Trey Lance, put him into situations down and distance-wise where he is set up to succeed, and then let Jimmy Garoppolo handle the, the, you know, the yeoman's load of work to make sure the 49ers are constantly ahead of schedule. Right. We need to point out that you know Trey Lance was not working with uh, all pros in that game. I mean, um, I, I think his completion percentage – is higher if uh, if George Kittle is there to kind of take some of those catch and runs and whatnot. So uh, that that's been an ongoing theme, theme as well. Um, can you really develop a guy uh, on those kind of move the chains type of scenarios when really he's not getting very good protection at all? Um, and there were there were some plays and and I, I watched the game very carefully. Some plays. I mean, he's he's out there with River Craycraft and, and Juwan Jennings, as as good a game as Jennings has uh, had on Saturday. He's not a moving space guy. He's not going to kind of shake free of a defender really easily. Uh, there were some plays. It was just frankly nobody open, um, and uh, you know that's going to happen to to any quarterback. But um, you know that that's all part of the evaluation and and what uh, what he's dealing with right now. So. Uh, I think that probably has to, you know, goes into his his poor completion percentage when we're talking about the move the ball stuff. Yeah, and that's that's all stuff that the 49ers do believe is trending upward. I mean, they saw a massive trend upward in the 40 days between OTAs and training camp. And hey, I think that they firmly believe that this week presents an opportunity for a massive trend up for the entire team, but especially for Trey Lance. You get to play against the Chargers in practice, and these are practices against the team that's not on your schedule, which means that schematically coaches can get creative. And we know that the Chargers are are helmed by Brandon Staley, who was the Rams defensive coordinator here in recent years. And Brandon Staley um, is one of the game's best, and he will throw exotic stuff at you. And the more that is thrown at Trey Lance, especially after three weeks of practicing against his own team, uh, the the better Trey Lance is going to become 
situationally. So the next strides to take are outlined right in front of him. It's very clear where Trey Lance has to get better. And now that his feet are just partially wet from that first NFL preseason action, he can go about trying to get better in in all the regards that he needs to. And what better opportunity than a set of practices against another NFL team and a very experienced defensive play caller who's going to try to make life miserable for him and who's not going to be afraid of showing stuff on film because this practice is closed and the 49ers and the Chargers aren't on each other's schedules this year. So I think that this uh, this weekend in Orange County is going to be really valuable for the 49ers, Matt, as they round into form ahead of that week three dress rehearsal against the Raiders. I was just going over that, that Chargers roster and uh, you know, probably a team that's not all that familiar to 49ers fans, not in the division, not in the conference, but boy, they're, they're loaded. I mean, there's a guy named Bosa, um, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Derwin James, uh, Nasir Adderley, who's a, a safety that uh, the, the 49ers were looking at a couple of years ago. Um, it's, they've got a lot of talent, not to mention uh, the, the quarterback, Justin Herbert. So, um, you know, there, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting matchups that are possibilities, I think, during the week. And uh, you and I will be down there, and, and uh, uh, maybe you'll be on one field and I'll be on the other, and we can basically document everything that goes on. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be very telling, not just for Lance, but uh, for a lot of 49ers, uh, these, uh, these next two practices, and probably not quite as much the game on Sunday. Yeah, I'm fired up, and <laughs> I'm more fired up for the practices than for the game because the game is going to be on television. Cameras will be out. Uh, I think schematically the teams will be neutered again, just like they always are in the preseason. But that won't be the case on Thursday and Friday. So although the 49ers have some players out, uh, most of the guys that are in need of experience, they're going to be in the lineup and they're going to be practicing on Thursday and Friday. So we'll try to cover it as best we can. And as every day passes, we get closer to week one, which is really exciting. It's going to be the Chargers on Sunday and then week three of the preseason, which most resembles the regular season that they call it the dress rehearsal for a reason. That's a home game against the Raiders for the 49ers. It's going to follow right away. So um, the days go by slow, Matt, but the weeks are going by fast, and I like that. So anyway, we're going to be back next week after um, this little pit stop in Orange County. We're going to enjoy ourselves down there near Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, Irvine, all those areas, and we're going to go up to Inglewood for the game on Sunday. So we'll check in with you on the Here's the Catch podcast after this little road trip. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. Talk to you all next time. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.